0: I'm Sean McCormick and this is Optimal Performance.
1: My childhood started in Ukraine where I was born. Multiple different birth effects all over my body. They found radiation in my teeth and linked it all to Chernobyl. My birth parents didn't have the resources to give me what I needed. And so I went into the orphanage system constantly having to fight and survive and be in that fight or flight mode, and then going through amputations and doing all this other stuff, proving people wrong and trying to prove to what you can do. It became part of my DNA. I picture someone in my mind that is already up 10 minutes earlier than me and has already started working out and wants it more than me. You're chasing perfection, even though you know it, I know it doesn't exist. Everyone would benefit from knowing they're resilient. We're all resilient.
0: Oh my gosh, are you ready for this story? Are you ready for this interview? That is Oksana Masters and she is the most decorated US winter para Olympian of all time, of all time. And she competed in seven events in Beijing winter Olympics in 2022. And she made the podium in every single one. This woman is an absolute inspiration, an absolute powerhouse. And in this conversation, I want to know what makes her tick. I want to understand. How she drives herself to achieve everything that she achieves, having been born, like you just heard, three years after Chernobyl, with radiation in her body and birth defects just about everywhere in her body, to go from that to this incredible athlete who competes in 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 both the winter and summer Olympics, and cycling, and rowing, and skiing, and just man, I want to know what makes her tick. I want to know how she's able. To endure all of this, we talk about how exertion, exertion, exercising super hard transforms our trauma. It gives a healthy outlet for you to resolve and to process some of the trauma that you've experienced. And we all have experienced trauma. We talk about the profound power of ending a hard workout. You know, just like pushing yourself to this place where you're just like, ah, oh, I'm it. That's it. <laughs> Your gas tank is totally empty. We talk about how childhood trauma informs high performance. This is an inspiring and also informative episode for any of you who find yourself making excuses in life. Excuses in life. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Oksana Masters. And I'm here with Oksana Masters. She's a six-time Paralympian and an author. And she's also the woman with bionic legs. Oksana, welcome <laughs> to the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: Hi, Sean. Thank you so much. Also known as Five Eight or Four Foot. Best of both worlds.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, this is great because this is a little bit of a different topic for for me personally. You know, um, biohacking. You know, personal performance optimization, sleep, stress, gut health, all this, all this cool biohacking stuff. But I and and I've, I've interviewed athletes before, but none with a story like yours. And um, the 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 memoir is is fascinating and inspiring and timely. But I really want to kind of focus in on uh, on a couple of things to start us off. If you could give us like a sort of a brief explanation of your childhood leading up to the moment, the specific moment, if you remember it, where you decided that you wanted to become an athlete. I think it would be a fascinating place to start,
1: yeah. So yeah, my story, my journey, like where it started it's very complex and it only gets more tangled up as it as it goes. But My childhood started in Ukraine where I was born, and I was born with multiple different birth defects all over my body. That was until I came to America, they found radiation in my teeth and linked it all to Chernobyl. And I was born three years after Chernobyl, and that just shows the level of radiation that was there. But I lived in, because of my birth defects, my birth parents didn't have um, the resources to give me what I needed to for my medical needs. And so I went into the orphanage system and I lived in three different orphanages. The last orphanage before I was adopted when I was seven and a half was the one I remember the most in. Um, And that's like the one that like all the, like my experiences and everything in the book is from that one. And there was basically what you assume in an orphanage growing up, especially Eastern European with not a lot of money, but, It was a lot of like, I was considered failure to thrive or yeah, failure to thrive and definitely did not, um, was like starving to death because everyone thought I was a three-year-old instead of the, our next-door neighbor who was three and he was actually three and I was eight. And they thought I was that small. I was, um, like 36 inches tall, 34 pounds. And so I wasn't expected to live long and experienced a lot of different, I don't want to say like abuse, but there were definitely mistreatments there in that orphanage, lack of food, lack of affection. And um, there was physical abuse going on too, as happens in a lot of orphanages. And I was adopted when I was seven and a half by my mom who adopted me as a single parent. And that day that she came and got me from Ukraine was where I feel like I started really living my life and really- started to thrive. And kind of like, because my story is so complex, there's things that happen in between, but I don't want to just like ramble on for five hours for you mm-hmm. that I came to Buffalo, New York, moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And the minute I decided I wanted to be an athlete was I got and started into rowing was a sport and I fell in love with it, but I had no idea I could be an athlete when I was 13. Cause I never saw anyone that looked like me. And when I didn't make the 2008 Paralympic Games. When I first found out what the Paralympics was, that's when I realized how much I wanted to be an athlete and wanted to commit my entire life. And it's funny that it takes something where you lose something and don't make it is in that moment is where you realize, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like how much I wanted that. And um, from now on, on, then on out, I I love the athlete lifestyle. That eat, mm-hmm. sleep, train. Sleep, eat, all repeat.
0: <laughs> nice. I want to go back to the the sort of genesis story of the decision to even compete uh, as a rower. You know, mm-hmm. um, with you know surgeries and treatments, and you know this this moment at seven and leading up to thirteen. That 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 time span where you've you've moved and you are setting up your life um, in in America. At, at what, what was, do you recall what the first, like, were, were you playing outside and then you thought, oh, wow, this is fun. I want to keep doing this. I'm not going to go inside when I'm called. Was it like a suggestion by your mother to, to, you know, go swimming or to, you know, lift kettlebells or, you know, like wrestle with neighborhood kids. I I'm, I'm just super curious about, about that, that moment where it clicked for you even before you tried out for the Paralympic team, but where it clicked for you, like, yes, this this very well might be the thing that kind of defines my my journey in life. Do you, like, do you remember what that was?
1: I think it was when I was 13 and got in the boat for the first time. I was always active and I knew I've always loved being physical and the release I got from the Mm. inside and just like let it out physically through whether it was climbing, I loved climbing trees. My mom called me a little spider monkey because I just, I'm not that person likes to sit still at all. And I've dabbled around horseback riding and ice skating. But that moment specifically was when I sat in that boat and I could feel the tug against the water, against the oars Mm. and I feel like everyone, okay, I'm biased. I love rowing. That's my favorite sport. But everyone, you guys need to try it. And the rowing machine is not considered rowing. That's just called erging, which is also great. But the minute you're on the water and I was pulling on the oars and there was this extreme like ugh, like pressure against the oars. And then at the finish, the oars pop up and that there's like no pressure. And then you're mm. balancing again. And I loved that feeling. That is when I got into sports, it wasn't to Compete. I didn't think I could do that. I loved the way it was my way of screaming from everything I experienced and releasing everything onto the water. And I loved the way that made me feel for the first time. That time I had my one real leg and one prosthetic leg. And that was the first time I felt powerful. I didn't control. And I loved that feeling specifically hmm. that extreme tug and then the contrast of that tug which is very light and just like feeling like air and mm. I think that's probably the most the moment.
0: I'm so I'm so glad that we're starting here because I think that that feeling is is universal. This week's episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. I cannot tell you how much this product has changed my life and so many of the lives of my clients and you listeners. It's also saved my butt during 75 hard these last three weeks. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. You can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, "Holy cow, Sean, I tried this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do." I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives, and this product is it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. Right? Mm-hmm. This doing something hard, this exertion, this release and that can be addictive, that can be inspiring, that can that can define your sort of optimal flow state and mm-hmm and i think that a lot of folks even folks who are fairly healthy that eat right and go to the gym and sleep well and take their vitamins like so many listeners of this podcast they they are they are walking around as fairly healthy people but i don't know that they've ever had that that like true release that like ex that, that ecstatic experience where despite how their day was and i see I'm, I'm making this maybe unfair connection their day was shitty their dog barfed their boss you know was was all well, over well no him. one likes
1: to come home to a dog that barfed all over your carpet <laughs> right. or your bed so i get of course. that
0: right <laughs> right but they've had a bad day maybe they've had a bad yeah. week maybe they've had a bad year and they're going through a really hard time in their life and they get that release, they get that moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's at the end of a yoga practice where that was really hard. Man, I'm really tired, and then I go into shavasana where I'm not in that resistance state anymore. And I'm yeah. making the connection between like the rowing, and then the the oars come up, and you're just coasting. And and I think that that I think that there's something in there, and and I'm curious for you, um, if you could maybe explain. Why that is such a valuable feeling, why that feeling of resistance followed by release is is so uh is so cathartic, maybe for you personally.
1: Yeah, well, it's a like, it's a metaphor in a lot of ways. And it's like, you know, if, if you're thinking about that day, that really, really bad year, that really bad day, that oh my gosh, my dog just barfed in my bed and I have to change the sheets. And no one likes to do that. That's a pain in the butt everyone. I think that's pretty universal. And, and then, um, but when it's like, when you, well, I've, I've totally just lost my train of thought, but like, when you really, like, when you feel it's like when that tension builds up and that anxiety builds up of your bad day and just the stress and everything, but then you literally take yourself away from that, or you put yourself in that state where you just let it go you physically feel lighter and and clearer in your mind and um it's it's that's honestly like a really hard i guess <laughs> thing to really put into words um yeah i don't know
0: yeah i know it i know it, it because what what this is is i think it's like some- a like
1: endorphins like you're releasing those endorphins yeah. entirely and just getting that negative Bad energy out mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And that for me was that because that in my mindset. And I think the thing is, for me, I knew it was physical. It had to be physical. But m- like my mom and there's some of my friends who they're not those they They, they get a release from reading a book. And I'm like, mm. oh, my God, I can't. I do not. I don't understand it. I need to like let my body just like I want to feel that go out. But their escape is a book. Or journaling. And it's finding, I think, what your release and what makes you feel that lightness. Hmm. Because then when you, for me, and that was rowing and that release and that contrast. And that's why we have those things that we, that like, there are things. And it just so happened that rowing was in sports, it transformed into other sports was my thing where I got to mix those two together. And I think there's something really powerful in like the ex- combining such two drastic different feelings mm. in one thing that you're doing together. It's like petting mm. your head and rubbing your stomach. If that makes sense at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the opposite
0: things, Right. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that there is something so visceral about that. So primal, mm-hmm. so spiritual even about Doing the somatic work, doing that physical exertion that is is unlike a book or a poem or Netflix or yes. a bottle of booze or a, an oxy. That 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 there is, you're sort of honoring your body. You're honoring your soul even to 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 yeah. like honor your honor your body in this very profound way. To do that stuff, to exert at that level. And, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I think that there's, there's such an important value to that. I think the world would be a better place, obviously, if everyone worked out and exercised, but if people understood the, 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 the utility, the usefulness of exerting yourself to such insane levels and mm-hmm. then earning that release, earning that relaxation. Totally. Totally earning a ball bo- of, you know, a bowl of ice cream at night or the Netflix show before. Honestly, you- that's
1: why I do sports and why I train so hard and like why I've really embraced the pain cave a lot, because I'm that kind of girl that likes queso in and outside of my burrito, extra queso. I love to eat. <laughs> you know, I want to earn that, what you were just talking about. And you know, when I'm training and it's that last few minutes of the race and you are just throwing everything, more so in training When you literally are, when I, I shouldn't say you, when I'm in that moment of like, oh my gosh, its I'm on my eighth rep, I have two more to go. I don't know if I can do this or I have three more to go, whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm just going to stop. But it's in that moment that you're questioning yourself. Mm. I'm I'm questioning myself and I feel that pain. And clearly my technique and things are breaking down. But that is where the growth happens. And that's where the actual breakthroughs happened. And my rowing coach was so frustrating. So I'm like, why, why are we working on technique work after we're thrashed? Everything was always at the end of our intensity block and training in that day. And then we would go and work on technique. That's not just about putting yourself in that pain cave and feeling that burning pins and needles in your body and just thrashing your body. Then it goes into, because in that moment when you're he was saying when, when you're entirely fatigued and tired, that is where you make the actual changes in what your body and how you do it. And so he always, like we always did our technique work when we were tired and we were breaking down because those are the those are the most important things your body will. I don't even, I'm not, I'm totally not saying it, but so I think that kind of goes hand in hand a little bit for me and the way I've approached other things is knowing, okay, when I'm on extremely uncomfortable and I'm second guessing and I want to quit because I'm breathing a little heavier than I should be and it's not feeling good and, um, whatever that feeling is, that is where the, you're actually making those gains. And that is where your competitor or that person next to you, like should be feared because you are going, that's where you're making yours. And you're just mm. pushing through regardless of that. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense what I just said. Yeah. Tangent.
0: No, you I think I think you're right. And it's a it's a physical it's a physical um betterment, it's a mental betterment. It's and again, you know, it it is it's an existential betterment, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've got it so good over here in the west in so many ways and we've become mm-hmm. lazy and preoccupied with the wrong things. We've been lethargic. We just have it too good, and that 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 level of adversity doesn't uh, is, is not a driver for for a lot of people. And and so it, it kind of brings me back to this to this other question that I have for you, which is, you know, and again, you know, I'll have read the 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 pre show to to fill in some of the details and accolades of of your of your performances. Oh, that so doesn't I'm, matter. Well, but but like just to kind of put it in perspective for people, well, that's how very humble and classic of you, <laughs> Oksana, to be like ah, sponsorships and medals and whatever. Um but but what's interesting to me, and and this has come up in, in previous podcasts, is if you thought very much about the connection between traumatic childhoods and elite performance. And you know, we think about You know, we think about super high level athletes that grew up in challenging situations at home Mm -hmm. who are experienced, you know, who experienced violence or who witnessed abuse or who received abuse in their childhoods and what that does to their level of tenacity or performance or drive or achievement. And and I've talked to him about uh, with a with a clinical psychologist about this very thing. And and she was like, absolutely, it's it's a huge part of it. And I don't know why, and I'm very curious why. Um, so I, I wonder if you could maybe walk me through and the listeners through how you think about the connection between a a a, a, tra- a traumatic traumatic birth, a traumatic, you know, formative first couple of year of your years and exposure to all of this traumatic stuff, and how that drives your men- mentality.
1: I think. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I don't think it like really drives the mentality. I think it's become from birth and from such an early age and constantly having to fight and survive and be in that fight or flight mode. And then, and then going through amputations and doing all this other stuff that just constantly like proving people wrong and trying to prove to what you can do and not be looked at something. It became Part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize at that time what it was doing. It was my normal, especially when I was a young kid. All I knew was just that world. And that was, I was reacting to that. And in the moment, it was creating my DNA and rewiring how I process, I think, my brain and the way I approach things. Because if I just quit, I would have died there if I didn't fight Mm. for food, if I didn't try and like, just if we didn't protect each other, like we would not have been, I would not be here talking to you. Or if I quit the minute somebody told me you, you, you won't never be an athlete. Like I would have, if it wasn't for that early childhood experience that rewired my way of thinking, I wouldn't know how to be like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. And it just be, so I guess like It just became a part of naturally in Mm. my DNA of who I am and Mm. not just me thinking, okay, because I'm really not one of those people that sits there and looks back at like, I've seen this, I've done that. And that goes the same for if you've witnessed abuse, if you've witnessed, it doesn't have to be abuse, but anything traumatic and um, just that will shape a child's mind. And when that becomes the normal, and for me, that was for seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to rewrite. And obviously, there's some bad things that you have to rewrite and rewire your brain. But for the most part, it it was just all I knew. And Mm -hmm. I think I've learned how to harness that in a positive way. Through a positive outlet of sport, and that we were talking about earlier—that exertion, that physical exertion—where I let the negative and the bad side, the toxic stuff that can affect me negatively, out. And then, yeah, if that mm. makes sense at all, I'm not sure. It does.
0: It does, and it, it it absolutely shifts the way that I was thinking about it from a conscious. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's. I'm learning. It, it shifts it from a from a conscious like oh I'm gonna show them or you know I'm gonna rise above it and it shifts in, in in based on what you're saying shifts from this like conscious thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna undo the trauma or I'm gonna show these people that what I can do and and frames it in this way that's like, no, I was just conditioned to fight like I had to fight. I, if I didn't fight, I would die and mm-hmm. that then becomes, your sort of modus operandi, the way that you move through the world, the way that you think about living your life. And that is really fascinating to me because I had never really thought about it that way, that, that it is a, that is a, it is a mental, it is a physical, and it's an existential conditioning at such a young age. Cause you know, the, you know, they say that uh, you know, from zero from the age zero to age seven, your mm-hmm. brain state is basically in this theta brainwave state so you're sort of meditative you're just absorbing things yeah. you're not really thinking very consciously you're just experiencing the world in in this brainwave state that's like a meditation until after you turn 7 and when you turn 7 you switch from theta more to an alpha brainwave state where you're now conscious of what you're mm-hmm. doing and how you're doing it and i think a lot about i think about that a lot with my children and and how i'm helping how I'm I'm hoping to raise them with enough adversity that they know, like, yes, you're we're going to jujitsu for the third time this week nice. because it's worth it. And yeah. you know, and I'm not gonna tell you you did a great job if you didn't do a great job. If I know that you could do better and you yeah. know you could do better, I'm not gonna pretend that you did a great job, you know. I'm not gonna so. Yeah, uh, I'm, totally. Right. Maybe 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 riff on, on that on that idea a little bit, you know, um, on on how like how maybe important it is to experience adversity at a young age.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously there's positive adversity and there's negative adversity. There's and I'm I was lucky where what when people, if they read the memoir, they'll see the details that are very challenging to talk about and relive. But there's a good adversity where we all are resilient humans are resilient and kids at that time that you were talking about from from birth to seven birth to when you're absorbing you need to let them absorb the diversity in different ways and approaching different things so it does become a part of them and so when they Are in middle school or high school, wherever it is, or they overcome and don't make that team or they don't get that grade or whatever, anything it is, their first thought's not going to be, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. They're going to learn instantly how to re-pivot and embrace the adversity. On the flip side of that, they'll be able to also then recognize people who look like me, who look different and will realize, oh wow, so there's a different, way to approach something this person has no legs and they're still doing this and so it's got an effect people don't realize it's not just a personal internal way for your sons and your, your kids to um experience diversity but it's really important for them to experience it and understand it so when they see someone too with living through diversity different types of diversity they're working through it's not like, oh my gosh, and it's a huge shock too. Mm. Cause it's it's like a little bit of both you have to train and expose, I feel like the the mind and the body at a young age. That's yeah. why I'm always like those kids and those people that like <laughs> um those parents that are like telling their kids, oh don't ask, don't ask, don't ask, oh my god, don't look. And I I show my legs because I want people to see it because you you can't understand it unless you see it. And when you Mm. see something happening, then you're like, okay, but how? And uh, but like I'm so happy that you're you're telling, you're telling your kids like when, okay, great job when they did a great job. But then obviously there's a healthy dose of also like, yeah, you know what, that was good, but here's ways you can improve. This is what I saw and it helps them want to continuously get better and not yeah. settle for i'm good and s- create that mindset of well i'm the best one and i've got like, i'm born with all these gifts you people we're all born with gifts but then we have to acquire them and work for them through this di- living different adversities that you're doing so thank you
0: yeah well i uh, yeah i'm just i'm i'm trying to do my best <laughs> i'm tr- i'm trying to i'm trying to do my best and you know, I'm excited to, to share, uh, to share my conversation with you when they go home from school today and show them some videos and, and, um, and because it's, it, it is, a, it is, it is, I mean, it it is the definition of inspiring. <laughs> it is, it is incredibly inspiring. Maybe, you know, on that, on that same note of, of parenting an athlete or, or parenting at all, um, what, what was your, what was your mother's sort of style in Mm -hmm. in supporting you to be the best that you could be
1: well i think my mom learned early on before we left ukraine that was very opinionated she wanted a baby she didn't want a seven-year-old that was almost eight because of the opinions they may come and i (laughs) have a lot of them that i vocalize and don't shy from and so she learned from that and then the first time she i think really realized where Oh dear God, I can't tell her no, because she's going to constantly prove me wrong. And when I was trying to go across the, my friends and I, like on the swing set, we're going across the monkey bars, not the, well, they weren't monkey bars, but it was like on the side of the swing set. I don't know if kids have those swing sets anymore. I, mm-hmm. Things are cha- changed so much, but, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't do what my friends were doing. And my mom, I stayed up whole evening trying to do it kept falling couldn't figure it out and it's because I don't have thumbs and my hands are also have deformities on them as well and or my little claws my little t-rex claws because I have little short t-rex hands too but she said this is something that I don't think you can do next day she went to work I was with her babysitter and that's the only thing I did was Mm -hmm. I just went over and over and over. And then at five o'clock, my mom got home. I was like, mom, watch. And she's like, Oksana, I told you. And I didn't. And then that was a moment for her. She realized, okay, shit. (laughs) Excuse my friends, (laughs) but oh, shit. Like she is going to find a way always. And so when she realized that, she just opened every single door and Mm -hmm. made sure I had opportunities to try whatever I wanted to try. She never pushed me to walk through any of those doors until I was ready and until it was my choice. And it was a learning curve for me to to know when to walk through it and not be afraid of the unknowns and failing and stuff like that. But um, she was just always, always supportive as a, but we could not be more opposite. Like she loves to read books. I, I like books, but I'm like, I would rather be active and doing something outside than do that. Read in one place, and but I learned everything to be a hardworking, determined, resilient athlete, and just all the qualities you need to that to be that high-level athlete was from her. Just mm. her being her and her doing, fighting for me and doing all this stuff. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. That's great. So now looking back from the start of your first day on the water and feeling that resistance of the oars. And I think that's such a beautiful metaphor. I think that that's just so cool. And now, you know, fast forwarding how many years later where you have had this incredible athletic career, obviously there's, you know, the seasons of your life change, you grow and you get older, you get, you know, you fall in love, you, you move, you, you know, you experience life as an adult, what does it take, and what drives you now to continue to perform at this level, mentally, um, in your tenacity? like what what is the, what is the sort of driving force to have you continue, to perform at such a high level and beat your body up every day and recover every day. Like what? And watch Oof, well, I'm not body- recovering
1: as, as fast as I was when I was in my twenties and oh my gosh,
0: sure.
1: those people that are, the, are able to just like thrash their bodies and recover within two hours. I'm jealous and enjoy that because <laughs> it gets tough, <laughs> but I, um, on those days, especially like where I'm just like touching my body or days where I don't want to get up and I'm like, wow, I just too early. I don't want to do this. Um, I, so, well, two things. I picture someone in my mind that is already up 10 minutes earlier than me and has already started working out and wants it more than me. And they're working, they're, they're doing those days where I don't want to do that. Or I may slack on my workout a little bit or whatever it is they're not, they're giving it 130%. And someone is out there. And I know, even though in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Someone is out there trying to beat me, trying to beat all of us. There's that better version when I'm out on the bike by myself. And if it's a sunny day, when it's cloudy, it just sucks. But I look at my shadow and I'm trying to beat my own shadow on that pavement. And that is my fuel. And that is that one person that I can, it's like, it sounds bad you're trying to out chase that and you're trying to like beat that person but they're your shadow they're there crossing the finish line with you and so it's just that little finding those ways of some form of something to push you and keep it competitive whether you because i'll be out there on my bike by myself for four hours five hours at a time Hmm. and you need that um i think it's it's that it's just i picture someone there's another version of Oksana that is better than who I am right now. And that's who I want to chase and be, beat that person.
0: Do you picture that person in detail?
1: Well, in detail, like as far as the way they look and the way they're approaching their, the sport and stuff,
0: because- I'm, I mean, like, do do the, can you see that? Is it like, is it Oksana, but dark hair and like- or, or is it or is it Tanner like, stronger and- <laughs> That's fitter yes exactly is that the what it is that
1: her hair will curl it will do all the things <laughs> mine won't but yeah no I do like because in some ways I I like I give them the benefit not benefit of the doubt but sorry oh my god but like they're um because that's exactly the detail. Like I was saying, like a better version of you is everything I want. I want to be strong. I want, it's everything I want when I'm lining up on that start line to feel so confident. And so it's either the physical, just stronger than me, mentally ready, tougher than me mentally. Um, always, always, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's kind of detail. I guess always is bigger, a bigger athlete than I am because I'm always been told how I'm small and I'm. And they meet me like, Oh wow, you're really tiny. And I'm like, I know, don't tell me
0: that, but, um, I'm, 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 the reason that I'm going there is because these, I, again, like, I think that these mechanisms, these things that, that, and, and I'm, I'm so, I'm honored to have this conversation because I think that to get into your brain a little bit and to sort of tease apart some of these things that you use, these metaphors, these techniques, these tools, um, we all can use, like there's a, there's a younger, fitter, handsomer, richer version of me that actually has all these assets, maybe better jeans, you know, you know, cooler clothes that got (laughs) up before I did, you know, and, and is outworking me today. And I, and I, and that's inspiring because I, I, (laughs) I, I think a lot of people who are, are concerned with optimal performance are, are chasing in a really healthy way, the best version of themselves. And mm-hmm. if the best version of themselves can create an, an avatar or an archetype that drives you to get a step further, you get like 2% mm-hmm. better that day because you want to catch that person or or maybe you want to beat that person or be that person, I think mm-hmm. is really fascinating to me. And so to hear you say that like, yeah, it's it's her hair will curl, you know, she's a little bigger. <laughs> All
1: the things you wish... <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> right, right maybe has better shoes, you know yeah definitely
1: better taste of style for sure <laughs> right and I always it's interesting because like obviously I know and for me it's different because but like I like they they have like I'm always kind of chasing a person that's like has an advantage of some sort so like I'm like in a hand cycle, but she's on an upright cycle and it's like I'm trying to outdo like that whatever that that is. But yeah, I, it's really, um, and I think like, it's like, that's like, that's not necessarily my why, but that is the, like, it is part of it. And I think it's okay to have different whys that inspire you and motivate you for different days and different places and phases in your life and in your sporting careers and anything. And, um, when, but it's when you at the gym and you're, and I'm questioning and I'm really hurting and I don't, when I have five more sets of intervals to go that I just don't think I can do. I think about that better version of me who's doing them. No problem with no sweat, smiling, and then can carry on a conversation afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'll be damned if that person beats me today. Yeah, And you know what? I will let them like 90% of the time. I don't know if this is healthy. I probably need to change. They always beat me. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not the one that very rarely will I allow myself to be like, dang, I got you this time, and proud of it. I'm always like they're always better than me, always.
0: I think that there's a lot in there. I mean that that idea could be its own podcast episode. That <laughs> for real, I, I you know I'm thinking. I don't know if you're familiar with the name uh, Mike Gervais. He's a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. He's got a really incredible podcast. I think that um, I'm gonna see if I can introduce also you listen. because he uh, he would go. 10 miles deeper than where i'm going around around some of these mechanisms that that we're talking about here these both metaphorically and and these tools these strategies that you use to mm-hmm. to to drive you and this idea of a why i totally get it and 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 forgive me if i'm wrong but i'm thinking like that's a that's a strategy it's a tool it's a driving mm-hmm. force it's not the inspiration it's not the reason right. or the why but it's just a tool that yeah. that continues to drive you to that to that optimal especially level
1: especially when you're at that level and mm-hmm. you're fighting for 0.3%, 0.2%, like 0.2% when you're at the top is what you hope to get at the end of a season you're not gaining to like point like 2% is a lot when Mm. you're at the highest, highest level. So I'm at the point where I'm, I'm chasing those 0.1%, 0.3% on a daily basis, because those 0.1s, 0.2s will accumulate to that 1% faster than what I was last season kind of
0: thing. Mm. And that makes sense. Yeah. For, for all of your successes, and accolades and achievements and medals. What is the feeling like when you, the, the race finishes, you're on the podium, you have that moment. You know, I've read a number of places that, that like it's cool for like four minutes or maybe mm-hmm. four days. Like it feels really good and you celebrate and then it's like, ugh, Okay. Now what? What are we doing now? What's the next focus? I'm I'm curious for, for the for the highest of the highest level achievers here on, on the podcast who are listening. Um, I'm curious about for those people who maybe have, you know, won 10Ks or, you know, placed in the Spartan race, you know, or who have achieved at at maybe the sort of highest level that they can in their bracket, you know, won a mm-hmm. jujitsu tournament. Yeah at their belt and weight class and, and, and how that feels that transition from, okay, I've worked six months, six years to get to this point. I got it. Boom. It's cool for a minute. And then what, like, what is, is maybe walk us through a little bit about what that feels like to have that mentality. And, and what is, what is the driving force? Is it the, is it the, Continued pursuit pursuit of mastery that makes you like mm-hmm. okay look to the next thing or change a sport or learn learn a new skill shoot guns in the snow like <laughs> you know like I'm I'm curious about what that what that little pivot point is after that level of achievement.
1: Yeah, I think for me it's it's different because I am a dual sport athlete. I go from one season I can be really successful in one season and then when I'm starting back my summer sport, I'm starting all over again I've like I it's complete different training complete different body muscles and everything where you're just like oh my gosh I don't think I can do this I'm so out of shape but clearly you're not because you're just in really in best shape because of this other thing um but going back to like that podium you've achieved it and that four minute thing that you were talking about or four days where it feels really cool I have a really like I feel very mixed emotions being on the podium, because it's bittersweet, especially when you're at the top of the podium, people just see you and only you on there. They don't see the entire team that got you there. And in some ways it's selfish to stand up there. And this is how I feel. Obviously everyone's different by myself. And, but the, my, what I get out of it is looking at those people in the eyes and just smiling and knowing like saying, thank you. And they just know, because I'm there because of them. And no one else gets to see them on behind, like beside me on that podium. And so it's, that moment is, it's hard because it's more an experience you feel and that connection you make with the people that got you there. And then looking at the flag and stuff and the medal itself for me is never really meant, oh my God, and I just live in it. Mm. And the next, because the medal, all it is to me is just showing, this is just a physical proof, the work that you and your team has put in and has the plan they created is working and this is how we build off from it from now from now and then i am that person maybe and this is why i've transitioned into so many different sports and um because <laughs> my teammates hate i think they get mad at me half the time because like i can win a race But all I'm focused on is that turn that I did not nail or Mm. that downhill that I was too timid on and I wish I could redo. And so I'm just racing and training for that finish line where I can cross and be like, damn, I feel so good about that. Even if that puts me in last last place, Mm. but there's not one single thing I would change on that course that I did. And that's kind of what I'm chasing, and so that's where I've Mm. yet to feel that. And it's Mm. not about the gold. It's that's that's got nothing to do with it, besides the fact that finally got to put that around my mom's neck, the first gold medal to after she went into debt and I went to debt to try and achieve this dream. Um, It's it's just that chasing that perfect race, chasing that moment where I am so proud of everything in that every second of that race and. It, and I love it, feeling uncomfortable too. So that's why I like to go from
0: sport to sport. Is it, po- to is it possible to achieve that perfection? Do you think?
1: In my mind, I don't think so. No. Well, first of all, what is perfect? Yeah. Like there's no such thing as perfection. There's, but I think like you're chasing perfection, even though you know it, That do- I know it doesn't exist. I, ha- I don't even know what perfection looks like, especially in skiing, my favorite thing about it They'll never be perfection because the sport in itself, it's an outdoor element. It's not, I think there is maybe perfection in those boxed in sports like swimming or track, where the environment is very stable. And you literally are just chasing like seconds and time off. And that is so intriguing in itself. I love outdoor stuff. And I love kind of like that just being adaptable. And so in skiing, you start a race in the morning and you go, you do one lap and you go into to start your second lap. That second lap is going to ski different than the first lap. The fast line is not going to be fast anymore all the way through the finish and X amount of laps that you do. So you're always adapting and you're always trying to chase that fast snow. You're trying to face, chase that fast line and chase the best way to ski it. And it's never going to happen because it's mm. just constantly fluid and Interesting. moving. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Right. The lines and the snow, the wind, the glare, all of that stuff you can't control yeah. for. So you just adapt to it. What, what, what sport are you training for right now?
1: So Paris 2024 is coming up in road cycling and I'm a hand cyclist. I pop these bad boys off my legs. They're just anchors on the bike mm. and I use my hands and um, Milan 2026 will be the cross-country skiing biathlon.
0: Wow. Okay. So you're now, you're looking three years ahead, both, both this next year for, for hand cycling. And then, Mm -hmm. and then what did you say? I'm sorry for 2020. Cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing. Uh, Why not look to 2028 and 2045?
1: Well, 45, I'll be, (laughs) I won't be dead, but somebody (laughs) please tell me like if I'm 50 and I'm still competing. Switch to (laughs) P-knuckle. you better tell me, Oksana, stop this. You're done. You're 50. Stop it. It's okay to walk away. <laughs> but I, I have thought about, it'd be amazing to end my athletic career on in LA in 2028 on home soil,
0: oh regardless
1: cool. if I'm competitive or not, just because, especially for Paralympic athletes, To be able to be there and part of that movement, to see it grow and be a part of a legacy for that for the next generation would be absolutely incredible. Or if I'm not there competing, I want to somehow be there helping somehow.
0: Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the
1: 2045, no way. My coffee shop better be established by then.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh you know, we talked a little bit about the, you mentioned the why, and, and, you know, as a, as a performance coach and life coach, um, it, it, uh, it has to come up, right? Why mm-hmm. do you think, why do you do the things you do? Why do you make the decisions that you do? Why do you work so hard? You know, who's it for? What's it for? Why, why? Because the why will uh, sustain you when it's, yeah. you're tired, right? Or when you're cranky or when it's, you know, below zero outside. Um, what is your why?
1: I think so. My why's transformed so much. And I think it's okay for your why to be also fluid and to have different types of why because that's like you have different motivation and energy stores to put into what you're doing and perspective perspectives. My why started out when first people society determining what I can and can't do based on my appearance. And then there, when I got into sports, I was told I'm too small. It's an unrealistic goal to be an athlete. And that pissed me off. And I wanted to show that athletes come in different shapes and sizes and styles and that we all have attributes that, okay, yeah, obviously I'm not going to be a basketball player or a football player or anything like that because of my height, but I have things that is like going to make me that I have secret weapons in my own body I only possess that's going to be able to, I'll be able to bring to the table and I wanted to show that through my sport to to those young kids that young little boy or girl it's told oh you're you're too small you'll never make it or oh my gosh you can't do it with with whatever um that there's no perfect way there's no perfect timeline and then it transformed to kind of well, the next generation of athletes and Paralympic athletes and um, just showing society. Like there's so many different ways to do a sport. The start line doesn't care what you look like and Mm -hmm. what you're wearing, what color you are or what experience you come from. If you're living from a car or you're coming from a mansion, it doesn't care. The clock's going to start. It's going to go beep, beep, beep. You go. And I love that. And, um so just that for that next generation and the fact that um i have an opportunity like we all do with our different stories have different by showing up and being present being seen my, my identity as a ukrainian as an adoptee as someone as a single parent as someone who just any type of form will be represented on that start line and Someone else will say like, oh, I can do this. And they don't have to question themselves and devalue themselves based on what value puts, what society puts on their minds based on their limited views on, on that.
0: Hmm.
1: Hopefully that made sense. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, I'm so bad. This is why I just do sports because it's I, I can't <laughs> speak it. So I'm like, oh, let me just show you.
0: <laughs> the pause there for me was absorbing that lot out i i i'm i'm dumbstruck by that that the inspiration there honestly like that the idea that the start line doesn't care what you look like how old you are where you came from what you ate for breakfast the adversity Mm -hmm. you experienced is, if your hair will
1: curl or not, if your hair will curl,
0: only you care. <laughs> if you've got great taste in shoes or not, yeah. it's just gonna start. And it's fascinating to me that you chose starting line, not finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it, it's you know it's indicative of of your thought process. And I think that that because well, like, is- the
1: start line is something that's like what I love about a start line is it's undecided. Finish line is decided, but like a start line you get to recreate something in that and the finish you just see what you take the good and the bad and you apply it to the next start line and recreate Mm -hmm. and just keep building off
0: that i dig that i dig that a lot Uh, that is applicable to to each of us right like the yoga studio doesn't matter what kind of pants you're wearing the Mm -hmm. gym doesn't have an opinion about whether or not you can bench 205 or 105 it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah. it is it is neutral it is non-judgmental it is just there for you to be as a, to be your best and to show up and to con- keep yeah. continue showing up and i think that that i think everybody if you can kind of connect to that idea th- because a lot of us, we just make excuses. You know, we make mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, and my response is always, "You don't make the time, you don't make the energy. It's it's yeah. all up to you. This that all everything in your life is voluntary. You know, you could. I I say this to coaching clients all all the time. Like, you've created the life that you're living. You've you've created mm-hmm. it. And you make a choice to either, uh, stay in the status quo of your life or change it. You know, you could leave your life, buy a one-way ticket to Thailand and never come back. If you choose, you could do that, you know? Um, and so to say it's such a disempowering idea to say like, well, I, I don't have the time for that, or "I, I couldn't possibly, you know, work out today. It's like, no, you can, you just are choosing not to because we bullshit ourselves. So many of us in so many different ways. I'm
1: guilty of it too. I'm I'm human.
0: When do you bullshit yourself? Give me an example.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, today I was like, I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to go for a 15 minute facet run, 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. Um, i'm gonna have another coffee instead and mm-hmm. next thing you know it's like 10 30 and i can't because my day started and I, so it's like i i'm we're all we're human we're guilty of it so instead i'm gonna do it um i have my running legs and i'm just put them in front of a door where i walk through anyways to get to mm. um through the other side of the house so i'm like shit they're right there i'm gonna just put this on i'm gonna put, i blocked myself so it's right there in my face and i cannot just walk past it. i'm gonna have to either physically move it and then realize Okay, I'm choosing not to run because I'm moving them to the side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't take your legs and move <laughs> them around and do it that way, but
0: <laughs> I'm going to put on my legs <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to get out there and run.
1: <laughs> but it's interesting because, like, you, it's like binging a show on Netflix or something. You're like, oh, one more episode, one more episode. And you're like, I don't have. But then but then like that that thing, that hard thing, you're like, I don't have time to go to the gym. Oh, I have to drive to it. But then if you just, instead of watching another episode, you could have just done that there. So it's like, why is that so easy to just fall into it? But then this thing that, and if it really matters to you, you will find a way. You mm. will not find, I mean, you'll come up with something. Oh, do I really want to do it? But if it means something to you, and if you really want it, you will find a way and no excuse or any thing
0: can block that yeah i love that what are you hoping as we kind of take it take it home here uh in our conversation uh this has been so cool uh a truly unique uh episode for me so thank you um what are you hoping what do you hope the book does what was your what was your mission in 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 writing writing your book so
1: there's There's different parts. I mean, I don't want people just to realize that my book is just for an athlete and just like a jock's story and where they come from. It's literally, it's about like everything. And what the biggest thing I want someone to get out of it is when they put it down, they not to learn about me, not to learn what I went through. I want them to feel 10 feet taller, look in the mirror and whatever that like, for me, I let my... So it's like these hard parts. And so it's like, it's kind of hard to say about like what, because of what I went through without saying that for it to make sense. But my story came with, I came with so many scars on me. So I felt my story was already written for me in scars. I remember how I got them. They're so vivid and scars that just are there. And I don't know why on top of them becoming an amputee and my story's written by society's outside perception of me and i wanted to take control of that and rewrite my own story and rewrite these and also share how these hard moments and experiences that we all go through as humans which whatever level they are if you're an orphan or if you come from the best experience best home everything but you didn't get the job you wanted or what a school you wanted whatever and just like use those into a positive way and find that outlet that is positive and empowers you and find those secret weapons of those really hard moments to make you better and how they can instead of be a bad memory that you never want to remember there's strength within that and to rewire the way you think you approach that and just look in the mirror with just ready to take on write your own story you and it's not your forever these hard moments if the, you're just not seeing the results whatever it is you're they're not your forever moments and you always have the ability to take control of your life and rewrite how you want it to go
0: hmm. inspiring if you haven't already you should go and plumb I, I there, I'm, there's always like takeaways from this, like, okay, that I want to use in right, that clip of what you just said. I'm going to use <laughs> like, there's so many tweets in this interview. Like after, after it gets published, you got to like call an assistant or publicist <laughs> or use chat GPT to pull out all the tweets. Cause there's like 70 tweets from this, this interview. <laughs> um, um, I warned you, I rambles. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 this is perfect. That's what we're here to do. Like I, I it's it's not for me. i I set the stage for you to 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 share and bestow wisdom and inspiration. So cool. um well, for for before I ask the last question, which is a fill in the blank question. Uh, and I'll be fascinated to hear your response. Uh, where can people get the book? Where can they learn more about you? And maybe take this as an opportunity to kind of promote sort of the you know the industry of of um, uh, para sports.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely encourage everyone to watch the Paralympics. I want to say it's not Paralympics; it's Paralympics, and the Olympics and Paralympics. The word para is means it's not for being paralyzed people. First of all, I'm just going to like really quickly go on a tangent here. It's means alongside and parallel too. so the Paralympics is along, alongside parallel to the Olympics and it's people with obviously physical differences, but um, so yeah, go watch that, watch, follow as many athletes because Paralympics is still an underrepresented sport. And this is about creating sport is for everybody. If you have a body, you're an athlete and it should be for everyone. And and to help inspire that next generation. And you can follow my journey on either Instagram or go to my website, oksanamastersusa.com to follow the books in any bookstore um, or you can go on Amazon. But yeah, if you want to see a girl go from five, eight to four feet, follow my Instagram. (laughs) Awesome.
0: uh, so this is the, the last question we'll end it here. And this is a fill in the blank question. I ask this to every single guest and get a wide range of responses and you can elaborate as little or as much as you wish, but please fill in the blank. Everyone. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> a- everyone would benefit from knowing. What? That's hard. I, I know. I know. Oh my
1: gosh. Ooh. I think everyone would benefit from knowing they're resilient. We're all resilient. Hmm. We are. We're all resilient. I think sometimes it's hard to – it's easy for someone to see, maybe someone in a wheelchair or someone like me with no legs, and just you see the obvious of, wow, but they're still getting gas. They're still buying their toilet paper. They're still doing X, Y, Z, and that's so resilient and inspiring. But, like, we are all resilient. Every time we choose to wake up that next morning – with an open mind of just not of just not being afraid of failure, not being afraid of judgment and not being judged. I think like or just anything. We're resilient. We're meant to come back. Look at where we came from, like our how our history is humans, we we came from. We are resilient. We and we're even more resilient when we are together and supporting each other in that. Mm.
0: Beautiful. Wonderful. Oksana, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: Thank you, Sean, for having me and letting me ramble on your podcast. I'm so sorry.